Hello everyone, I'm Rachel. I'm Ari. And this is the first official recording of our podcast, Legends in Review, where we will be reviewing DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Disclaimer so they can't sue us, we are not affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers, the CW, any actors, in any way, there is no money going into this. So this week's episode, episode season two, episode 13, called Camelot slash 3000. I'm sure someone thought that was clever. Is it a <laughs> reference to something? Did I miss it? Is well, it a Jonas Brothers reference? I, I hope so. I, I really sincerely do. hope so. Well, because they went to see Dr. Midnight briefly in the year 3000. They just really like murdering the JSA. Like at this point, I'm pretty sure they only introduced them because it was cheap to license them out. And they're like, hey, here's some canon characters we can just murder. Just worth mentioning that Obsidian is the only character we haven't seen murdered or subjected to horrible violence or dead in the future. And Obsidian is the only gay male character that we have seen this season. That's actually pretty nice. The bar is really low. The bar is super, super low, but thank you, Legends, for occasionally meeting that bar. Camelot slash 3000. It took place in Camelot, which as we all know, Nate was completely correct, doesn't actually exist. But in a world of DC Comics, there's a lot of magic. There's a lot of weird mystery. There's a house that has sentience. That's never going to show up. That's a little Justice League dark thing for you. But in that vein, it does make sense that Camelot would exist as sort of a magical kingdom in the DC universe. I will say, I'm going to be honest, I saw the preview for this week's episode last week and I was like, oh Christ, they're doing the full medieval times. And they did, they did costuming wise, but they did get the date semi-accurate. They, I think it was 531 AD. Yeah, it was about 539. So technically if Camelot or something akin to Camelot had existed, it would have been about 350 to 400 AD. But the fact that they got the date sort of right is enough given that the show plays fast and loose with historical accuracy all the time. The thing about this episode is they could have held it in a Chuck E. Cheese and done basically the same plot structure. There's nothing about this episode that really says, hey, we're in Camelot doing Camelot things. They could have done this with any set of characters, any historical time period, any whatever. The only thing that this episode did that couldn't have been done anywhere else was I suppose they wanted to do like a technology versus high fantasy thing. But the only technology we really saw with the brain controlling spiders, the weird ear things that look like something out of Spy Kids, those. And I actually think they might have stolen that from Spy Kids. How dare you? Spy Kids had twice the budget that this show has. <laughs> and I just I just want to emphasize, we do really enjoy this show. I love this show so much. I'm and, not proud of it, but I do. And I think the more you love something, the more you criticize it. And if that's not true, then I need to have a discussion with my parents. One of the fun things about this episode is we see the illumination of Ray being knighted that Nate showed to Oliver in the first episode of the second season. And this is the only one of those things that Nate showed Oliver, those examples of how the legends are messing with time that we have actually seen happen in the show. But it doesn't actually make sense that it would have happened without Nate being there because then it it really truly makes no sense at all. And I know they put it in there to be a fun callback and I appreciate that but also every time I try to talk about the legends timeline a small black hole opens in my apartment and starts sucking things into it and I've lost some jewelry to it and I really don't want that to happen again so we're just gonna drop it 
I was grateful for one thing and one thing only, and that was Arthur Darville strutting around in a suit of armor on a horse. That was great. Good job, guys. We really needed the fantasy aspect of this. I really want to know if Arthur Darville had any difficulties with that horse, if the horse liked him or not, if the armor was uncomfortable. Arthur Darville is one of those people that when you see him, you really want to know what he's thinking because you just assume it's some kind of lo-fi elevator music. But he shaved off his beard yesterday, and now he looks like an NYU student. And that has nothing to do with this podcast. (laughs) I just wanted to say it. I just want to say it. So our brave heroes are chasing after the Spear of Destiny, and a lot of people I've seen call it a spear. I've seen it called a spear. It's, you know what? It's a pronunciation thing with the show. We saw Rip holding it. It's a spear. It's a stick. There are some other great names for it. The Lance of Longinus. And the Holy Lance. I can't say the Lance of Longinus without laughing hysterically. I'm giggling a little to myself right now. I think the FCC would have sued them if they started using Lance of Longinus for obscenity purposes, and that's fair. So the characters go back to Camelot, and I actually think this was one of the best episodes for Nate, because when we first met him, we were a little unsure about where he was going to end up. Having him be the person that yells about continuity really endears me to him. It's something I think that's a little more relatable that I think viewers would like, and it's funny. I will say also, the thing is, is when you're going to make a very generic white male CW lead type, making him nice was the best thing they could have done. You have characters who are really kind of just friendly table lamps, and at least they're friendly. And there are so many non-nice men that the CW has introduced into their superhero shows recently. I won't name any names, but... Monel and Draco Malfoy. I won't name any names, <laughs> but there's a lot to be said for the fact that Nate's just kind of been a friendly there. He's nice. He loves Ray. He loves Amaya. He looks up to Sarah. He's There's nothing... It's nice to have him have a role outside of being nice, but it's a good thing that they kind of introduced a character who's bland but friendly. That's, a, that's good. I think he serves as a really excellent balance to Ray because we saw this episode that Ray is very lawful good. He's that sort of good that doesn't make a lot of sense to anyone with a rational brain. He's more concerned about good as a concept and that kindness as a whole than he is with his own safety or what this could mean for the greater time structure or really anything. He just wants to do the right thing when it's in front of him every time. And I think a lot of the team is a little more neutral, but who is a little less for the greater good is very healthy for Ray. Nate is about as good as Ray needs him to be very often. Like he's the one who's like, okay, we're gonna do this, it's fine, but you're not allowed to, to go headlong into danger and get yourself killed. And Nate knows that, like he's more concerned with Ray's safety sometimes. He's willing to put other things first. He's a little more pragmatic than Ray, which is really nice because Ray needs some kind of pragmatism. Camelot is, I think, the worst place they could have put Ray ever. And I'm actually saying that now and realizing, oh, that's a good reason to have Camelot as this episode because Ray in Camelot is so dangerous because Camelot is very much that high fantasy, lawful good, knights are the greatest and best, most heroic people on earth and Ray eats that up. Like he loves that idea so much. He is literally willing to die for it. He's been in Camelot for six hours. It's really funny because Brandon has mentioned in interviews when they brought him on to play Ray, less with Arrow because Arrow Ray is still a bit cocky and he's very charming in that. But with Legends Ray, especially because they were going to explore his character a bit more, they said, okay, so 
who do you want to be? And he said, I think I kind of want to play him like Clark. And you do really see a lot, a lot of Clark Kent and how Brandon plays Ray Palmer. And I think that's really charming. But I wanted to transition the conversation to Amaya, who is very beautiful. Amaya I want so to mention, beautiful. just want to mention that. Don't want anyone to think that this is going to be too dude-praising heavy. We is... praise the ladies and the dudes and the non-gendered people or the people who prefer there's, not to have a gender. There's no, there's no, there's no non-binary on... people on the CW. You know that. They banned us like three years ago. They, they signed it into law and everything. Stephen Amell was there. I don't think Stephen Amell knows what a non-binary person I is. I don't think he knows how to sign his own fucking signature, so I'm no surprise there. Okay, Shit. I'm gonna preface this podcast <laughs> just by saying that in the future or down the road, we're probably gonna end up insulting Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin quite a bit. It's not our fault. No. If they didn't want to be insulted, they shouldn't be like that. <laughs> Moving on. Amaya. Great character. Very beautiful. I don't think the show really knows what they're doing with They her. have no clue. The animated CW special that they had had more of a plot and coherency than anything they've done with the Maya this season. They have no clue what they're doing with her because this is something I've been thinking about since this season started, which is the first half of the season, season 2A, was basically killing time for the crossover. And then immediately after that, they were like, oh, okay, well, now we can get to our real plot. When also, I just want to say, crossover, garbage. Only good thing about the crossover, the legends. End of sentence. Well, also Cisco. But And Cisco. I'm so sorry. Cisco Ramon is perfect. But there is something to be said for the fact that the episode where we met Brainwashed Rip for the first time again was for no adequately explored reason set on Christmas. So I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on a bit and say I'm pretty sure that was meant to be the mid-season finale before the crossover came in and just rubbed its filthy little hands all over everything and ruined it. They really did not know what to do with Amaya because in introducing Amaya and Nate in the middle of killing time for the crossover, this show isn't quite good enough to say, well, what if we did some character-driven episodes that let us explore them while also kind of maintaining a filler appeal because we're waiting for the crossover because we can't do anything plot-wise until that's been resolved. So they just did back-to-back -back racist episodes, they, they both is. written by Mark Guggenheim. And if it's a Mark Guggenheim episode, you know it's racist. You know someone's going to get a little hate crimed. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Arrow fans, has Diggle gotten out of prison yet? Is he? Is he still in God? Yeah. Should, we should, we should, we should. And I just want to mention that, like, sometimes people say, oh, the show doesn't know how to write her. I know that's an excuse Flash fans made with why they don't like Iris. We love Amaya. I absolutely love Amaya. And speaking of Iris, Iris is also excellent. But we love Amaya. And because we love Amaya so much, you it's know, really frustrating. it's really frustrating to see the fact that she is wearing a magical artifact around her neck. And the show is like, we're chasing after a magical artifact. If only there was someone who could help us with that. She's standing right in front of you. If you're gonna involve magic and you have a character who has magical powers and you refuse to let her come into them, talk about them, use them, you're underwriting her and it's a real shame. And it's not fair to Amaya. And even just ignoring the magical artifact stuff, which, you know, I could get that like, well, it's it's a non, I mean, this, the Lance of Longinus is not an African artifact, obviously. So I guess if you want to really be like, well, it's not the same thing. Okay, fine, whatever. But we've established that Amaya is a lot of things that Kendra wasn't, which I like. I like that mm -hmm. since we lost Kendra, that we have another black female lead who isn't like Kendra, is, is a little more pragmatic, is a little sharper, is a little more closed off and mm -hmm. shy and less intimate, kind of less loving. I appreciate that. I do. However, they don't really explore that much. And we get some hints. Like there's a couple of things Obsidian says to Maya at some point that you get the implication that when she's like, oh, we didn't fraternize. We're not about fraternization. No, you guys, you guys were all best friends. She just didn't like hanging out with anyone because she's not good at making friends with people. And that would be sweet. That would be fun. It's okay to let Maya be weird and awkward and not good at talking to people. I like that. I think it would fit in with the whole, she's closer to maybe this idea 
of her powers of getting stronger, of learning about herself, and she turns inward and forgets about people. But what I'm doing right now is giving her more characterization and more thought about why her character acts the way it does than anything they've done this season with her at all. So like, Phil Clemmer, you can feel free to use this. Please do. We want to see more Amaya. We want to see more backstory. We want more explored with her. I like that she's getting to kind of feel herself out with mm -hmm. Nate, but she shouldn't have to do that just because she's having a romantic plot with Nate. I get this as a CW, but like, come on. And again, we did mention Kendra. I miss Kendra a lot. I miss her every single day of my life. Every morning I wake up and I miss Kendra Saunders. But I think Kendra sort of got more plot because Vandal Savage was her nemesis. And even Kendra was pretty underplayed in a season where her abuser was the main villain. And so with no Vandal Savage, Amaya doesn't really stand a chance against well, the writers who just don't seem to think that a black woman should have that much plot point. That because it's totally that. It's also Rip being brainwashed as being a big part of this season. Yeah. After po the post-crossover season, which is the only part of the season with any plot. Oh my god, there's a plot? I know. But there is something to be said for the fact that like Sarah is getting a lot of plot points because now she's like acting captain and because Rip is in danger and because Rip and Sarah have this weird thing going on. Now they have even more excuse to talk about Sarah and leave Amaya behind. I'm when we say weird thing, we mean they're gonna bone. They're definitely gonna bang. But it's not the point. That's not what we're turning the podcast into. But it's really frustrating to me that they finally brought back Stargirl and didn't just immediately like shank her through the stomach like they did with Dr. Midnight, which is nice. At least we got to see her for five minutes. But first off, she shouldn't have been Merlin. That was really stupid. I appreciate that they kind of did like a fate zero thing where they're like, oh, this male historical figure is secretly a woman or whatever. But she really should have been the lady in the lake. It would have made a thousand times more sense, especially since she turned the Lance of Longinus into Excalibur, kind of. It made no sense for her to be Merlin. Like zero, none, none, none at all. And I think she was just a secret Merthyr shipper and that's why she was Merlin and also in love with Arthur. Yeah, that, that's that. And I know what you're thinking, Rachel, she's from the 40s. The show Merlin didn't exist in the 40s and how show Merlin exist if Katie McGrath is now on Supergirl. That's fine. And to that I say, shh. But there is something to be said for the fact that Stargirl comes back no matter how much it does or doesn't make any sense. And Amaya doesn't really get to hang out with her much. They briefly argue and then they're like, take care of yourself, you too have a moment where they're both kind of hinting at their romantic relationships with other men and then just don't. That would have been a great time to establish what kind of person Amaya was pre this team and they just completely dropped the ball on it. There's no reason that Stargirl and Amaya shouldn't have talked about if anything, literally anything at all, just to give Amaya some kind of backstory that we're not getting. They they didn't really talk about themselves. They didn't talk about like what was important to them. I felt like they were just trying to like push Stargirl out of the plot. If you were gonna use the JSA, why did you drop them immediately? The CW loves making OCs. Why don't you just make some random OC team when you just either murdered or put them on a bus away from the, the show plot? Speaking of which, Jax was sort of shown as having a crush on Stargirl when he met her, and I was hoping seeing Stargirl again would mean that Jax would finally get a legitimate romantic interest, since the only time we saw that was last season when he was interested in Kendra, and that was very cute, but then Kendra and Ray got stuck in the 40s, got stuck in the 50s together, excuse me, for two years, and we did see a little bit of jealousy from Jax at sort of that lost opportunity in episode 109, but that was never really brought up again. And of course, as you know, Ari and I both believe that this team is an OT9, OT11, whatever. How many of them are there? There's 11 of them right now if you oh count gosh. Kendra and Carter. That's so unfortunate. There's so many of them and they're all banging. But in show canon, it would be really nice to see Jax not be written off as like, oh, he's just like a little brother, he's just like a kid, and get a romantic interest, especially because he is this young, intelligent, really good looking black guy. And I feel like the show just 
does not consider him a viable romantic option, and that's pretty insulting. They've done this like twice now too. There are some minor hints that Jax has a crush on Sarah, and I say hints because the CW's idea of a foreshadowing is wrapping a plot point in a brick and throwing at you while you sleep, but (laughs) it's true. It happened to me once. (laughs) It happens to me all the time. But that said, Jax is implied to have a minor crush on Sarah. He's implied to have all these little crushes and he has this established thing for Kendra. But every time it's for someone who's older than him or more of a mentor figure or Stein's daughter. So it would be kind of weird dating your daughter of someone you share a brain with, like really weird. Like they're not going to stop Stein. I want to mention Professor Stein. Every time Jax has any kind of romantic inkling, Professor Stein rolls in on a skateboard like all Jewish dads do when you have business you don't want them to be involved in and starts just throwing wedding invitations like ninja stars. And those are called shuriken. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> they are. But it is really frustrating. See, it's not like he's like 12 where it's like, okay, maybe you shouldn't ship him. He's a legal adult. There's no reason for him not to be shipped with other ad- consenting adults. And the show just kind of makes the, oh, but he's so young. He's more like Sarah's little brother. For like, fuck's sake. I've actually seen some interesting points made that Sarah, for someone who is a bisexual woman, does not get a lot of meaningful relationships with women in the show. She gets a lot of kisses with women, but they're very much one-off. Whereas she is on a team with two beautiful women, first Kendra, now Amaya, and she doesn't really seem to show any kind of preference for Amaya. There was a little bit for Kendra, but that's also because the show very much was like, Kendra is Sarah's humanity and they have parallels and they're very similar. And because as we mentioned, the show doesn't really know what it's doing with Amaya, that relationship with Sarah that could be like really cute and like butt into something romantic just doesn't seem to be happening on the show's part. And I'm really glad that people ship it because it's very cute. I personally am ride or die for Sarah Kendra. I'm ride or die for Sarah Kendra. Maya as an OT, but the show just seems to be underselling it. I really, f- I think if I'm remembering correctly, this this confrontation they had at the start of this episode is actually the first time they've had a major conversation in any way, shape, or form. Maya and Sarah really haven't gotten the chance to kind of interact because their plot lines this season haven't really intersected, as Maya hasn't really had one, and Sarah's has been really heavily focused on Rip, which is fine if she was showing interest in other women, but the relationship Sarah has with other women in this series tend to follow this pattern where it's so predictable that the second she started talking to Guinevere, I was like, oh Christ, they're gonna kiss. And it's gonna be brief, it's gonna be strained and rushed and I'm gonna hate it, but they did because she tends to meet these women who are in a bad place emotionally, like Lindsay the nurse back in the 50s episode. And now with Guinevere, these women who are really unsatisfied and kind of like- Just a bad stereotype for bisexuals to be carrying around. And the thing is, I don't, I really love Rip and Sarah as a parent, but Sarah can be with Rip and still be a bisexual woman. And when she had her flashbacks with Nyssa, they should have at least kissed. That was so there underplayed. Was no reason for them not to kiss. That is such a good example of like that whole, they can't be too gay on screen thing. Sarah is for all of these women, this mysterious driving force. Like she's this, this whirlwind of attraction to women that shows up in their lives and they don't, you know, she's new and exotic and exciting. And, and they're usually in a bad spot. They're never women who are like happy and 
confident with their attraction to women. They're just kind of sad and your usual depressed lesbian or depressed bisexual trope. And if she doesn't have that kind of relationship, she has these brief flings that are very sexualized, like that whole thing with the Queen of France. And it's just really gross and really kind of invalidates Sarah's attraction to women or turns it into the only women who've been attracted to Sarah have been depressed or confused or lost in some way. And it's really frustrating that Sarah isn't allowed the same scope in her relationships with women that she is with men because she has these really great relationships with men. She has this really, really tight bond with Rip. It's been a really good slow burn whole show thus far. She has some really nice, healthy, fun relationships with men. But even her relationship with Kendra was very tinged with sadness, this pining like, oh, Kendra has Carter and Ray and will never really love me the way I love her and longing. It's not fair. Like she deserves to have at least a healthy, happy fling at the very least with a healthy, happy woman who's also confident in her sexuality. And we just don't see it ever. And you know, if they wanted to balance, there are ways to balance that. And they don't. And yeah, I think it's a very right. pointed decision not to. And yes. you know, I think at some point we have to say, okay, when does Sarah just hooking up with women just become something the producers of the show are doing to just make sure we remember that she's bisexual because they are sort of setting up her to have a very significant relationship with a man. And again, that's fine. She's still going to be bisexual even if she and Riff have sex. She's going to be bisexual after she and Rip have sex because I think that's where they're headed. She's going to continue to be bisexual no matter who she ends up involved with, but even if they're pushing her romantically towards men, but it's something where it's about prioritization and it's about presentation. All of her relationships with women are, she's a brief fling in these women's lives or she's a joke, like a one-off. I'm glad they remind us that she's bisexual. There are other ways to do that. It would be a lot less of a focus and a critical point for us if, if there, there were more bisexual characters. Yep. You know who's standing right fucking there? Nate motherfucking Haywood. I, Nate is, I think, Let him of... kiss girls and boys and non-gendered people. Thank you. Like, he's so bi. I'm sorry, but like, he really does have a lot of stuff. Speaking as a bisexual person, there are certain things you notice, and the way that Nate talks to Amaya versus how he talks to Ray is completely indistinguishable. There's, he's so clearly interested in Ray beyond platonic. There's a lot of meaningful stuff that gets set up, and you could argue parallels other romantic scenes that show up in the show, and the fact that they're not remarkable upon is just biphobia plain and simple they're just not willing to make canonical dc comics characters any other sexuality than hetero they have refused but it is really frustrating it's difficult to to see this lack of willingness to explore character sexualities on a show really banks on having a bisexual character but just having one isn't enough. Sorry. Especially when you stereotype her as this kind of flirty, promiscuous, bisexual. It's really frustrating. I would like to talk about Jax and Rip very quickly because oh. Jax's scene with Rip in the end of the episode oh. is so interesting given how Jax, when they were about to leave, said, oh, but we don't have Rip yet and had absolutely planned for bringing Rip back and unbrainwashing him. But then the second Rip is actually in front of him, Jax sort of puffs himself up and makes himself very adult. And it reminds me of the scene where Katara threatens Zuko and Avatar the Last Airbender when Zuko joins them at the Western Air Temple? Or was it the Northern Air Temple? I'm really sorry, it's been a while, so I'm not sure if I got the Air Temple correct. And it reminded me of that scene because you're watching a character who you have really seen grown up very quickly, and you're watching them do something very adult and talk in a very adult manner. And I know we mentioned that the show uses Jax's youth to sort of desexualize him, 
And I think there is a way for him to still be youthful and adult at the same time because what we saw when he was threatening Rip was just pure adult. Like, you're oh, looking at this character and you're wondering, when did you grow up so fast? What happened? Very powerful to see a character who is usually so sweet have to make this kind of decision and be that kind of person. I will say also, I think the really important thing to take away from it is throughout season one, like we have to understand that the show opens, with Rip's son got shot in the face, which is really brutal. Like they cut away, but the way that that was shot, there's a lot. Rip spends a lot of the first season really grieving and messed up and horrible and sad. And it's just very good acting on Arthur Darville's part. Sorry we made fun of you for this half of this You're podcast. a very talented actor, but you look ridiculous without a beard. You really have to grow the beard back, dude. But I will say, Rip treats Jax like a surrogate son. He very much views Jax, this, this kid that he can protect. And now Jax is coming to him and being like, if you hurt this team, I will kill you. I think he did it deliberately. I think he did it to kind of hope that he could get a rise out of the rip that he knew was in there to kind of be like, are you still in there? Can you, can you hear me? And like, that's something I really like about this brainwashing is there's no, there's no other risk. It's not putting something new into rip. It's taking something out of him. They're taking all of the love that he had for this team, all of the compassion he had, all of the goodness in him. And they just took it out. And it's very hard to fix that versus kind of just undoing like a, general kind of tape painting over his brain thing. Like Rip was brainwashed in a much more thorough way than anybody else we've seen so far. It's really interesting. Like it's actually probably one of the best things they've done all season. Like it's really the way he has been brainwashed is so unsettling because it's not like they took away his memories of the team per se. He seems to still remember who they are and what they did together. But we know they've removed or edited some things in his brain, like out of context. There's something I'm very interested to see when we go inside of Rip's brain next episode and we see sexy evil Sarah, which is just Sarah with a boob window that goes all the way down to revolve. I designed the outfit myself, evil Sarah says, and regular <laughs> Sarah says, that is amazing. I'm gonna try that. And it is something to be said that I'm very interested to see if they've selectively edited anything about Rip's memories of the team. Did they just remove his time with the team entirely? Or did they edit things to make it seem like the team was actively being destructive and dangerous? There's a lot to be explored here because we know that they took things from him, but we don't know what exactly has been taken from Rip to make him act like this. And they're not forcing him to act this way that we know of. He seems to be making the decisions to do these things on his own for himself, by himself, or at least under the illusion that he's doing so. And why? What did they take from him? And I'm hoping we find that out. We're gonna have to find that out next episode. We have five episodes left. We're in a bit of a hurry. Yeah, as I noted on my Tumblr, when you see the description for episode 14 and then the description for episode 13, you know that whatever is wrong with Rip mentally will probably be resolved by the end of episode 13 because episode 14 is just him and Sarah arguing about who is captain. So there's still gonna be a lot of tension. I can't wait. But the brainwashing itself will probably be resolved by the end of episode 13 because again, we are just out of time. So our last subject of the day is one that I think is very near and dear to our hearts. Is Gideon wants Rip to fist her. Gideon the AI wants Rip so badly. Maybe She's this so is because I watched Green Lantern the animated series. But if you haven't, you might not pick up on this as fast, but that AI is so in love with her captain 
Are we going to use he, like her? Because I always use their pronouns for Gideon. Well, the person who voices Gideon is a woman. I know, but I like non-binary technology. We did for say personal we reasons. did say earlier that the CW did sign. Oh right, the CW pleasure. banned non-binary people. Anyway, so Gideon should be non-binary, but I guess isn't because Stephen Amell personally signed off on the law the CW made about banning non-binary people from the network. It's true. Stephen Amell said, "I don't, I don't know what this says. I can't read," and then signed it. That's exactly what happened. That's a fact. But. There is something to be said. Like, Gideon has... Rip also treats Gideon with a lot of kindness. It's not like my phone, where if I say, hey, Siri, what's up? And Siri's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I love you and I would die for you. Rip was about to commit suicide in the season one finale. He would have driven the wave rider into the sun. And then Gideon goes, but I don't want to die. And he's like, you're right. I have to do this. He does it for her. I think if Rip had been alone on the wave rider, he would have killed himself. And that's really dark. But so is losing your wife and child. And Gideon is the one who saved him. Gideon is the one who, because he did not want her to die, he did not die. They have this kind of quiet, important relationship that goes beyond just AI and user to something that's just, they're close. Gideon clearly loves him a lot. And I think that's the only reason. That's why I would love if they were like, okay, well, we're trying to make her stop doing this thing. She's supposed to be self like blowing up the ship or whatever. They could turn her off and they could do an emergency override. But Gideon has kind of grown past that because it's not really about, she's not obeying her captain. She's listening to Rip because she loves Rip. She doesn't seem to quite be aware that something is very wrong with Rip. And that's really sad. It's kind of like a kid who doesn't realize that something's very wrong with their parent. And and it's, it's Which is also good. a weird comparison to make after we just several times reiterated that Gideon wants to bone Rip. Could you shut up? And I think we're going to wrap it up. I don't mean like literal parent and child. Come on. I meant Gideon is interesting in that she's the opposite of stupid. She's got all of this information to access being an AI, but like she's naive. She's very naive. I don't think there's a lot she understands about human emotions and the complexities of the ways that people behave and things like that. Like even her love for Rip is very simple and very much, I love you because, you know, you're important to me and, and you're my captain. It's also very interesting that she's nothing like the Gideon we see Eobard talking to on the Flash. This is very clearly a more advanced AI and we're not quite sure how that works. I'm very interested to see how Gideon will act in the next episode and how Gideon will act in the Battle of the Captains, aka Rip and Sarah desperately compete to be the fun parent in episode 214. Can't wait for Jax to get a new computer. That's a Gumball reference. Everybody go watch The Amazing World of Gumball. The episode's called The Password. On that note, it was really great talking to all of you. This this was Legends in Review, a.k.a. Legends of Extra. We'll figure out the name later. We'll figure out the name as we go. Our information will be in the little graphic I make to go with this podcast. So we hope to talk to you all soon. And we'll hopefully have these episodes out closer to when the actual episodes premiere, but there's no new Legends this week, so... So it'll actually be pretty easy to do that since they're kind of skipping a lot of episodes. Yeah, why bother? Eh, it was good talking to you guys. All right, signing off. Bye, guys. Bye.